Welcome to Capital Conversations, an ERLC podcast from Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Jeff Pickering. Around the table on Capital Conversations, you'll hear from the policy team of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, as well as featured guests from outside our D.C. office. Our conversations cover the policy debates and news shaping our world as we aim to connect our Christian theological motivations to political engagement in Washington. We are in Nashville, Tennessee, and we are here for the ERLC Academy. It's one of my favorite events uh, that we do at the ERLC, uh, mainly because it's a time for those of us on staff to sit around with uh, seminary students, PhD candidates, as well as our leadership council folks, like the guest who's joining us today, to listen to uh, Dr. Russell Moore, our president, share about uh, sort of the foundations of Christian ethics and then applying uh, those foundations to a whole host of issues, uh, and uh, in- including open Q&As that Dr. Moore does. So the ERLC Academy is a, is a great time. I know uh, last night we, we live-streamed a couple of his sessions on our YouTube page, so I'm sure that those are up and available. We'll link to it in the show notes if you want to listen in. But first, if you enjoy listening to Capital Conversations, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're listening to us on iTunes, would you consider dropping us a five-star rating and a review? This really will help others find our show. Our hope for this podcast is that the conversations around our table would foster a new way for Christians to engage in the public debates. If you know someone in your church, campus, or community who would enjoy this show, send them a link. We would love to welcome them around our table. In addition to iTunes, every episode of Capital Conversations can be found at ERLC.com and a lot of other podcast places too. Today, I am joined here in our Nashville studio uh, by someone who sits on our leadership council, and her name is Dana Hall McCain. Dana is a columnist for Alabama Media Group, focusing on topics of faith and politics. Her work appears on AL.com, as well as in the Huntsville Times, the Birmingham News, and the Mobile Press Register. She has previously written for a variety of faith-based platforms about issues affecting women's ministry, marriage, and parenting. Dana has served her home church in numerous parachurch ministries as a Bible study leader, women's ministry director, and small group leader. One of her greatest joys is serving as a mentor to pregnant women at her local Christian Pregnancy Resource Center. Dana and her husband, Greg Scooter McCain, are parents to two children. Dana is a good friend who recently co-authored a piece with our own policy director, Chelsea Patterson-Soblick, on the Born Alive Bill, uh, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that in this conversation. Uh, But for now, Dana, thanks for joining me today here in our Nashville studio. Well, thanks for having me. It's a joy to be here. Yeah, and so you are here in town like like I am, like the rest of our DC staff is for the ERLC Academy. I am. I'm here for the academy and I will tell you as a uh, as a person who is not currently in graduate school and also <laughs> not a theologian, I feel like I have been tossed into the deep end of the pool. <laughs> okay, okay. So what what have what have uh, some of the highlights from swimming around the deep end been thus The deep far? end of the pool it has been fascinating because anytime you're in a, a room with with Dr. Moore and you're breaking down, you know, the nuances of of how to apply a biblical worldview to all these complex problems we faced, you're going to learn something um but I, my hand is cramping up from taking notes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's great because it helps me as a columnist coming 
to so many different issues from a Christian worldview to to sort of to break that down in an analytical way and and figure out how to properly apply um, what we see in the scripture about um, living a life submitted to Christ and reflecting the gospel to a world that is not always saved and not always in relationship with Christ, how to, how to do that well and how to do it effectively. Or even for uh, the world that many of us come from, that that parts of our communities uh, that are involved in church, and we would even say they are saved, mm-hmm. but they're not thinking about how the Bible applies to you know, topic X, Y, or Z. Oh, absolutely. Even within the body of Christ, there are certain, I think, pockets of our thinking that have been secularized or politicized in a way where, you know, the biblical principle sometimes gets swamped by all of the other factors in play. And so I I love an opportunity to sort of clear some of that smoke and, and bring the biblical principle back to center stage and get centered on the things that are eternal. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, it's an ERLC event, so there's great food as well. Oh, absolutely. I, <laughs> I believe right after we record this, we're going to go have some barbecue. Absolutely. And and yeah. I chose uh, about 10 days ago to go back on a diet. And oh, man. So I've been tracking my food, oh, no. and I finally looked at my phone last night and was just, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> but you tracked throughout the whole first day of the Academy. I, I, I did. I bold. did. But it was, my phone was, you know, looking back at me like, really? <laughs> You're eating again? <laughs> well, calories don't count when you're away from home. That's that's what I'm going to tell myself anyway. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's not not totally true, but but you know, hey, we're I'm burning Baptist. it all off with my note taking hand. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Very good, very good. Uh, okay, so so Dana, I asked you if we could peel away from uh, from uh, the the academy uh, sessions to be able to talk about all that's going on with the abortion debates in America, uh, but particularly. Uh, what's happening in your home state of Alabama? So, uh, if I if I could give an, an intro here, I I'm interested in in starting with this episode. I'm interested in doing uh, a series here on Capital Conversations. It's not something we do that often, but I I think this current moment in our culture, uh, in 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 the policy debates that are happening at state governments across our nation, to to take a step back and and really look at what's happening with the mm-hmm. abortion debate in in America. So so I th- I think we're going to do a series here. Not not sure how long this is going to go, but but I want to start by talking to you because last week state governments in in Georgia, Tennessee, Missouri, and your home state of Alabama enacted new abortion laws, uh, and and it wasn't just that they enacted new state laws, but they really catalyzed. A, a new nationwide conversation about life, the unborn, women's autonomy, pregnancy, a whole host of related issues. And, you know, this this nationwide conversation was particularly in focus uh, last week, but but I, I really don't think we've hit a peak yet. Uh, I, I think these debates aren't going away anytime soon, and I want to cover as many aspects of this debate as possible. So, uh, as I said, let's let's begin by looking particularly at the Alabama bill. Uh, I know you you write weekly, you write often, uh, but it it seems like this article that you wrote last week, titled "The Abortion Pendulum Is Moving." seems to be getting a lot of eyeballs, <laughs> it the, has, uh, which I'm glad. You're a phenomenal <laughs> writer and you're covering really important issues of the day. I saw that Drudge Report picked this up. Mm-hmm. As, I, as I'm looking on my screen right now, uh, the comment section is up to two and a half thousand comments. Yes. You don't read any of those, do you? I do not. No. Okay. <laughs> That's good. I know right before we we hit record, you said that was, that was something that you told yourself when you started writing about politics. Yes. I'm not going to read the comments. Well, and you know, the, um, the platform, AL.com, has me to publish my email address. So I do receive 
reader emails, and I do read those, but I've noticed, uh, I noticed right out of the gate when, when I started this column that there was a, a marked difference between the tone and the usefulness of the online comments that people anonymously dash yeah. off very quickly yeah. versus email that someone took the time to open up their email right. and send to me. So many times those folks don't agree with me either, but there's something useful okay. Okay. <laughs> in in the email or or thought-provoking or right. illuminating. Right. Um, I, I don't find that necessarily to be the case with the comments. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. That's good. I'm glad that you're not reading those. Yeah. Uh, for your own health and wellness. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It would not be good for my yeah. Um, sanctification. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, for the purpose of this conversation, let's just let's you know you you've written a lot about this topic. So let's start this conversation with the definition. How do you define the term pro life? For me, to be pro life is to recognize that um, God is our creator and that He has created human beings in his image. And and for that reason, every life is sacred, Um, unborn at every age and stage, womb to tomb, Um, that that human beings have have a special ordained purpose as, as created in his image and that we need to respect and protect that. So at one point last week, your state, was the number one trending topic on Twitter. Yes. I don't, I don't, I don't know if you if if you were following along uh, that closely with with sort of the trending topics, but we noticed it at ERLC. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty amazing. There was a lot that was discouraging uh, in that Twitter conversation, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm glad that we were having the conversation. So lay out for us as somebody uh, who lives in the state. What happened in Alabama last week? Sure. Well, this you have to really back up, I think, um, several months to get the full landscape. And I remember I, I actually wrote a column um, back in February called just the abortion pendulum. It was sort of the, the phase one of this observation of mine where the state of New York had just passed their bill expanding access to late-term abortion and sort of guaranteeing more ability for women there to terminate fully viable pregnancies for a variety of reasons. And then there was also some movement in Virginia with a bill that never actually got passed, but there was a lot of coverage and rhetoric around it, and it was also an expansion of of late-term abortion. And I could tell just in what I was reading and hearing, not just in Alabama, but maybe also nationally, that for for the majority of Americans, you know, in especially in the the flyover states, as they call them, mm-hmm. it was all kind of a bridge too far. And I felt like the left was overreaching in terms of how the the policy they were pursuing was being received and viewed by average Americans. Um, and so I, I wrote then, and I felt then that perceived victory they were having on the policy side for a moment in a, in a state like New York was going to have a cost attached to it on the back end. And that pendulum was going to swing back down, and it was going to give momentum and um, and power to the pro-life movement and, and really reawaken a lot of um, evangelicals who had been asleep at the wheel in a lot of ways on this issue for a long time, thinking, yes, I am pro-life, but the court has already decided this with Roe v. Wade, and I really don't think it would ever be overturned in my lifetime. But when we saw some changes on the court personnel with two new appointments, mm-hmm. 
and um, then the coverage and, and the tone of the pro-choice movement in, in the way they were pursuing uh, those expansions of abortion rights, I thought, mm, you know, this is going to wake up some people and get them back in the game. And it did. It certainly did. And, uh, you know, thinking back to earlier uh, this year in 2019 when that New York law was passed, one of the things that was most upsetting to me is to watch the the uh, One World Trade Center washed in, in pink lights yes. uh, to celebrate what I, I don't think— I don't think you could even charitably call that a pro-choice bill. It was just a pro-abortion straight out of right. sort of the abortion lobby's dream scenario. Well, I, I wrote of that very example, the the celebratory lighting didn't feel like safe, legal, and rare. No, but, no, you know, not there, at all. there used to not be a time all. when the left um, would advocate for for choice when it came to abortion, but sort of acknowledge the grave and unfortunate sure. aspect of it, yeah. and they have moved very far afield from that. Yeah, which many people, including Dr. Moore, uh, attribute that to Cecile Richards, the now mm-hmm. former president of, uh, of Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. She really did a lot to change that conversation of abortion as something that's a regrettable, some, you know, some on the, on the quote-unquote pro-choice side might say a necessary evil. Right. Uh, to really say, no, this is a public good. Shout which your is, abortion. Right, which yeah, is why yeah. now we are uh, in D.C. having to find ourselves defending things like the Hyde Amendment, which prevents taxpayer dollars from being spent on abortion and abortion services. Mm-hmm. It's why groups like Hobby Lobby had to go before the Supreme Court uh, to fight against the Affordable Care Act to say that, no, we don't want to cover um, abortive services in our medical plans. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, uh, their their conscience rights in that sense were, were upheld. Um, we celebrate that, but but we're having to make that case because, uh, yeah, it seems like abortion is a public good. And, and I, I'm really concerned, particularly for the people that are going sort of shouting your abortion publicly. Mm-hmm. I've watched a couple of those, whether it's on Comedy Central or just on Twitter, and it 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 doesn't seem like that's going to end well. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't seem like something uh, that that one should be sort of shouting. Now, as the Christian, we would want uh, we would want anyone who's ever had an abortion, paid for an abortion, to know that the love of Christ covers you. You are welcome in the family of God, into the church, and so we don't want to hide those things. Right. But but the sort of abortion is a public good. It it. I think you were right to use that metaphor of a pendulum, and it's certainly mm-hmm. swinging back. Did you expect it to swing back so quickly? I did not. I, I did not. I really thought it would take, um, you know, at least a couple of years, maybe longer, for us to see policy movement and votes taking place and bills um, designed to sort of provoke possibly that new look from the Supreme Court at the issue. But um, I, I was I was like many people surprised. I mean, when the train started rolling down the track, it picked up speed. Oh my goodness! Quickly. It picked up speed super fast. And uh, you know, I, I will say that I uh, I am as guilty as probably some other Washington D.C. sort of swamp dwellers that like sometimes I can just get so <laughs> focused on the debate that's happening on Capitol Hill, right? That that I too was surprised at how many states uh, just last week. Yes. Not only passed, uh, but then governors signed into law. Uh, and I know I mentioned four at the beginning, but but I believe that's happening in Louisiana now. Uh, and it was a Democrat-introduced yes. uh, legislation, and they have a Democratic governor mm-hmm. uh, who uh, has either signed or has signaled uh, that they're going to sign it. So 
So let's talk about the Alabama bill. One aspect of this legislation that many people uh, have found to be particularly unsettling, including some within the pro-life community, Mm -hmm. uh, is its lack of exceptions. Right. Uh, Do you find that concerning? I understand why it is somewhat controversial, because even within, like you said, the pro-life movement and even within the church, I think um, over the the past 40 years since Roe v. Wade's been the law of the land, as we have tried to push back against that, I've heard a million times people say, I am pro-life except in the case of rape or incest. We've we've repeated sort of that mantra to ourselves as, you know, the two allowable exceptions. And I don't think there has been a careful examination of why. I, I think that was sort of an accommodation we made to um, sort of put the thing politically back into play in a way that would be palatable to more people. But when you back up and look at the sanctity of life and um, the rights of the unborn, it's hard to nullify the rights of the unborn based on the circumstances of that unborn child's conception when when the child bears no fault or mm-hmm. no responsibility for those for those um, circumstances. And so as a believer, if we want to consistently and with integrity apply, you know, a biblical view of life and justice um, to unborn children, I think we do have to back up and really think hard about those exceptions. Um, You know, I, I think I said to someone yesterday, if you told me right now today we could repeal Roe and, and have as the law of the land that abortion was only legal in those two instances, I would take that deal in a heartbeat. I wouldn't find it to be perfect, but I would find it to be such a vast improvement over sure. over abortion on demand for sure. any reason whatsoever. And, you know, as after the fact birth control, I, I would I would be thrilled at that advancement. But if I'm going to be honest before the Lord and honest with myself about what I think is truly right and just, I I cannot see my way clear to ending the life of a child, even in tragic and traumatic circumstances. And and I don't I don't take the pain of women who have gone through those experiences lightly at all. Um, in the Pregnancy Resource Center where I volunteer, I hear some horrific stories from from women who are facing crisis pregnancies and have come to that point in the road after years of mistreatment and abuse and disenfranchisement and poverty. and, And so I know that their pain is very real, and I have compassion for that. But I don't think that the lie that we have been sold for so long that eliminating the life of the child will remedy hmm. all of that pain mm-hmm. is 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 right. Yeah, and 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 for you, because there are some who would say, well, we can't we can't allow there to be any uh, any exceptions here because we have to maintain uh, because we know that this is going to be uh, a court battle eventually. Mm-hmm. We have to maintain that sort of uh, the integrity of this legal construct. Mm-hmm. But for you, this is rooted in your Christian faith. It is. And so as somebody who does, not not only who's thinking through these issues and, and writing about what's happening politically, but as somebody who does volunteer, 
uh, in, in a pregnancy research center and, and sits, sits across the room from uh, women in these situations help Christians think through how to hold sort of that mercy and, and justice at the same time to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act and carry out the truth in love. How can we do that with, with such right. a weighty, complex issue mm-hmm. as abortion in the case of a situation as horrific as, as, as rape? Well, I think it requires us to really get in the trenches with these women, first and foremost, to, to hold their hands, to see their faces, to know their names, and to listen to their stories. Because when we sit back sort of in an insulated philosophical or political position, it's very easy to become callous to what that kind of pain looks like and, and to discount it. Um, but, when, but when you do engage with these women and you are able to offer them love and compassion and the hope of the gospel as, as the remedy to what she has experienced mm-hmm. in her life and, and the hope of Christ mm-hmm. as the thing that she can look toward and move toward regardless of what has been done mm-hmm. to her, mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not this child was something that she would have chosen. And, you know, a lot of times we will deal with women who do not feel equipped to parent, and we recognize that that, that may be um, not the best choice for her at the time, yeah. and so we will connect her with, you know, a Christian adoption agency. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, because there are so many families who are waiting in the wings, that's right. anxious that's to right. adopt children, and um, and so that's that's a way that we see the Lord work those yeah. things out in His time and in His way sometimes. But I think it's it is incredibly important for us to to engage with these women personally. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no other way to do that except but to put yourself into some poverty environments yeah. and put yourself into some crisis pregnancy environments yeah, that's right. and, um, and get in these people's lives. As a, as a new dad, uh, my son Lincoln is, is two months old, and watching my wife, and not just watching, but walking through her pregnancy with her, going mm-hmm. to the going to her uh, prenatal appointments, labor and delivery, and now on the other side, watching her, uh, she has yet to get <laughs> more than like three hours uh, of sleep in a row in the last two months. It it has both increased my um, my firmness and sort of my resolution that abortion is one of the, if not the most tragic systemic injustice in our land because I see my vulnerable son and know that I even see some of his sort of, some of his personality and movements and the way that he holds his hands. And I mm-hmm. can see that in the sonogram pictures that we have of yes. him. You know, this kind of the same way that he has his fit. So you just see that humanity from the very first image that we had and knowing right. that, that, was, that that was there from the Lord from the very beginning. Right. Um, so I see that. But mm-hmm. I also see how taxing uh, pregnancy is uh, mm-hmm. on my wife, and how taxing motherhood is, and and I know, so so in so in a way, like I I I've become more resolute in caring for the unborn and seeing these laws passed, and at the same time, so much more empathetic and compassionate uh, for women who find themselves in an unplanned situation, and and then a third sort of emotion <laughs> in response to this. <laughs> Is to those uh, those those uh, I, I won't quite call them men, but boys who who run away, 
yes, uh, from a situation when when they have fathered a child. And I think that the same, it, you know, for, if we're going to say that we as Christians need to engage and 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 be with these women in these situations, mm-hmm. we need to do our best to call young men to step up and 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 be fathers or to help usher uh, to help usher an adoption along to a family who's who's waiting right. to, to open their arms. So I thought you did a great job with that aspect uh, in in your piece as well and would really commend people to take the time to read it to hear both uh, the integrity of the argument to say that no matter the the situation uh, we, we don't hold children accountable for for um, you know the the sort of act that led to their conception right that's still an innocent life. Mm-hmm. But also the compassion that you're living out, um, you know, beyond just sort of uh, words on a screen, uh, but but in your daily actions. Well, and the, and the other thing I think we're going to have to wrestle as the body of Christ um, as we move forward from here, and, and who knows whether or not this Alabama law will stick as it makes its journey through the courts and, and what the ultimate outcome in terms of law going into effect will be. But let's let's assume for a moment that the law was upheld and that um, we and that we ended abortion in the state of Alabama. I've had a lot of pushback and a lot of commentary coming back my way this week from Democrats in our state and, and pro-choice activists in our state saying, but what are Christians and pro-lifers going to do for these children once they're born? And that's, that's a question we have to examine. And I know there are varying opinions about what the state can do very well and not do very well versus what private charity and the church can do very well and not very well. But the fact remains that we do have a responsibility as as the body of Christ to show mercy and grace um, to these children um, once once they're in our midst right. and show up with diapers, right? Show up with meals and and sh- and show <laughs> yeah. support and, and encouragement yeah. to mothers who right. are struggling because, like you said, you see right. it in your own life the fatigue. Right. Um, right. It, it's a it's a high and holy calling, but right. it. It's not for sissies. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. That's, maybe that should be the the title of this. This is not for sissies. Put that on a coffee um, mug. So I, I do want to. We we are we are the, the uh, sort of policy podcast of our suite of URLC podcasts. So mm-hmm. so so back to the policy here. So much of the debate right now is around the lack of exceptions. Right. Uh, so uh, in in um, in another southern state, in the state of Florida. Uh, so I, I just. We were uh, talking as a staff earlier today, and this chart uh, was shared. So uh, this is this is the state of Florida records a reason for every abortion that occurs within its borders each year. Uh, so in 2018, uh, there were 70, 000, a little over 70,000 abortions uh, in in the Sunshine State. The percentages for the reasons given were were pretty staggering. Incest was 0.0001 percent. Rape was 0.001 percent. Uh, and the woman's life was endangered, physical life, uh, 0.003%. Psychological health was 0.02%. The women aborted the child for social or economic reasons, 20%. But then the overwhelming majority, no reason, elective abortion, 75.4%. So I think we need, when we're making this argument in the public square, we need to be clear to push back on um, not just talking about the edges, but talking about what we're actually talking about here. And so I think the numbers back us up in that. And I think we should be we should be confident 
to say, no, we're not, that's, that's not actually, I know we want to talk about sort of the edges of this, but what we're actually talking about Mm -hmm. is no reason given just elective abortion of an innocent life. Uh, And I'm a really firm believer that our country's conscience will not be seared forever. And maybe that's because I'm, I'm, I'm too young and too optimistic, but I just, I cannot imagine with the rate of, you know, 3D sonograms, just one more example. And just seeing my generation, the millennial generation, how much more pro-life uh, we are uh, it's, than our parents' generation. It's very interesting. I do think younger adults are more pro-life than their parents. Um, and maybe the the level of technology um, that we have now has played into that in terms yeah, of what so. we know about unborn children and how immediate they can feel and and be to you in a 4D ultrasound is <laughs> fascinating. I mean, they're making expressions yeah. that you will see them make right, right. several yeah, months exactly later right. out in the real world. Or as my wife would tell you, oh, I knew you were that active of a little baby because I felt it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, but, you know, Karen Pryor, um, who's a noted English professor at Liberty University, wrote a piece um, a few months ago. Yeah, in Vox. Yes, it was in Vox. Yeah, we'll and, link to that in the show notes. And it talked about about how she believes that 50 years from now, we will look back on this and and it will be kind of like civil rights where our children will say, really? Mm-hmm. You could just go and, and kill mm-hmm. your, your unborn child? It, that used to be legal. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it, it's really, if we're, if we're honest, it's a human rights issue. 100%. And there are many on the political left who will argue with passion and vigor um, for human rights for a variety of different people groups mm-hmm. um, or impoverished or oppressed um, segments of the population, both here and abroad. And um, I, I think we may see that pendulum again move to a place where we begin to understand abortion as a human rights issue. Do, do you get the sense that we are sort of we being sort of collective, even b- both sides of this argument are starting to recognize the humanity of the unborn? I think so. I, I think yeah. so. And and there may be a variety of factors driving that, mm-hmm. uh, like we alluded to earlier, but I, I do see a generational shift yeah. in thinking here. Yeah. Well, I, well, I hope so. Well, uh, Dana, as we're, as we're wrapping up, We've talked about this uh, a little bit already, but um, so in this debate, you know, you'll see the pro-abortion side caring for women or at least um, saying that they do. And I think many of them are, are good faith actors in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then many on the pro-life side care for the unborn. And I have I, I think they are also good faith actors in that I'm, I'm one of them. Uh, but we must we must do both. And uh, you end you end your piece, which I, I'm. It's it's very powerful, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read part of it, and just would ask for for your response on how we can do both and what you do expect. Um, so you you talk about how quote we need answers for poverty, we need answers for fatherlessness, we need answers for sexual assault, we need answers for a million social ills, but abortion isn't the answer to a single one of those problems. And you'll never convince me that we must keep slaughtering children by the millions until we've patched all the other holes in the bottom of the boat. Let's stop killing the children. And then use all that time and energy we use to spend fighting abortion to fight the reasons that women are compelled to seek them in the first place. And then I think the best line of your whole piece, I'm going to expect to see you at that rally too, church. 
That's right. Um, and and that sort of goes back to what I alluded to earlier. We are going to have to, um, on the political right, which that is where most evangelicals live politically, come to the table to talk about making sure that children and mothers in distress have access to good health care. We're going to have to talk about making sure that um, people have access to good nutrition. I, you know, I, I won't get into the minutia of what those kinds of policies and bills— Maybe for another podcast. —should look like. Yeah. yeah. But we're at least—we can't just say, well, no, 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 no. No. Yeah. Well, that, that's not what government does. Right. No. We, we've got to, whether it's whether it's— you know, publicly or privately, right. we have got to come to those needs with yeah. our arms stretched out wide and and love these people, love them radically and lavishly and generously, um, as Christ would call us to do. Right. That's that's exactly right. So uh, last question here, looking toward the the family of God, looking toward the church, uh, as somebody who's who's thinking a lot about these debates, uh, how would you encourage pastors, church leaders in Alabama to lead their congregations in this in this cultural moment, particularly as your state's elected officials have passed this new law, and the eyes of the nation are sort of are, are, are looking at Alabama to really, in many ways, as one of the leaders of this debate? How would you encourage the church uh, to think through this cultural moment? Um, first, I would encourage our pastors to remind believers to be prayerful about this. Um, I think so much of what goes on in our nation is driven by, you know, the Holy Spirit sort of quickening the consciences of people. And, you know, I can write all the beautiful words in the world and publish them on every platform in the world, but if God has not prepared the hearts and minds of the reader mm. um, when they encounter that, um, it will be all for naught. Mm. So, um, yeah, we need to be prayerful about this. And I would also... Um, like to see um, from our pulpits, our pastors encouraging people to step more toward principle than toward politics, and to what do you mean by that? Um, to get back to the biblical reasons for why we would do anything, you know, opposing abortion included. Why? What are the biblical underpinnings of of the reasons that we do what we do, rather than? Um, having our our political talking points sort of shape our um, our religious worldview. I, I would like to have our religious worldview to inform our political talking points. And that's not to say that um, there's not a lot of overlap um, in, in some instances, um, but I think we have to be so very careful in this point in time to keep the horse in front of the cart mm, and yeah. let the horse do the pulling. Yeah. Um, or we can get sideways in a hurry yeah, right. because it's it's really easy um, to get over invested in a political or an economic or any other sort of ideology and let that overtake some biblical fundamental that we were supposed to be more rooted in. So um, looking back to the word and um, and you know see, seeing how God sees people unborn, born, poor, rich, black, white, um, getting back to that and, and letting that motivate how we respond. That's a good word. And speaking about getting back to that, I will let you get back to the auditorium uh, Great. for Dr. Moore's teaching here at, at the Academy. Dana, thank you for uh, what you're doing, uh, what you're writing. Thank you for joining us here on Capital Conversations. 
Thanks, Jeff. This is Capital Conversations, an ERLC podcast normally from Washington, D.C. Thanks to our production team, and thanks also to you for joining us today. Resources from this conversation are available at ERLC.com to equip you and your church.